This is Founders Talk, an interview podcast hosted by me, Adam Stachowiak. We profile founders building businesses online as well as offline. And if you found this show on iTunes, we're also on the web at 5x5.tv slash Founders Talk. If you're on Twitter, follow Founders Talk and meet Adam Stack. Today's guest is Chris Nagel, founder of Wild Bit. Enjoy the show. I'm here with Chris Nagel, founder of Wild Bit. Chris, how are you today? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for coming on the show. It's uh, I've been a big fan of of yours, even if you don't know it, for many, many years since about 2007. When I first ran into your first product, Beanstalk, and I'm I'm excited to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, to tell you and everybody else about our story. It's it's been a, a really fun ride so far. So, how long is uh? Let's kick off with um. I guess probably the, the quickest way to, to dive into this would be to just give a brief history of, of who you are and how Wildbit came to be. Yeah, sure. And God, if I think about it, it's been a long time. Um, we started, or I started the company in, in 99. Um, you know, I was actually, I was in college and um, I was doing some side work and I, I think it was, I was in school for computer science or programming. And, and at the time I just remember uh, one of my professors telling us what we would make when we got out of college. And uh, I, I think it was, I forget what the number was, but at the time I was doing consulting on my own, just part-time. And I looked at him and I said, if I left right now, I'd be making much more than that. <laughs> so so that was kind of a, a deciding factor for me. And I, um, not too long out after that, I, I just kind of cut out of uh, college and you know decided to do things on my own. So uh, Wildbit actually started in 1999? Yep. Yeah. At the end of the year of, uh, 99. Wow. And so what was the, the first starting points that you can recall? What was Wildbit like back in 99 when you first started out? So at that point it was really just me. Um, I was building just, you know, one-off brochure sites for, uh, for anybody who really needed it. Um, whether it was like, you know, friends or, uh, people who maybe friends would refer other companies to me. Um, you know, just the, the usual way people get started. Um, but at the same time, this is actually uh, an important part. My my brother came up with an idea um, for a, a nightlife website. He was living in Philadelphia and, you know, going out to clubs and bars all the time. And there, there just wasn't a resource where people could find, you know, what events were going on and, you know, what to do on the weekend. Um, so he came up with the idea that let's build a site where people can go to find events and things like that. Um, that was actually one of my, uh, first big projects and we decided to partner up on it. I still had wild bit. Um, but we decided, you know, while we're building this site, this is mostly full-time work for me, but I can still kind of run wild bit on the side. And, uh, we, that company, it's still around today. It's called phillytonight.com. Um, but it was really the, the platform that helped me launch Wildbit because it was our first big pro- uh, project that we did. Um, but, you know, long story short, after that, we, we basically finished the product, uh, launched it, and it was really just maintenance from that point. So I said, you know, what am I going to do now? And it was a nice opportunity because with building uh, a nightlife site for bars and clubs, we, we started to actually talk to a lot of these bars and clubs and um, figured that they actually need a website as well. So with Wildbit, we started, you know, talking to the restaurants and bars and, and nightclubs and actually building sites for them as well. And so that was, 
I mean, this is 2011. I mean, that was yeah. that was a long time ago. How is a really long time ago? Uh, can you can you honestly give me a, a brief history in, of of 11 years of business history for Wildbit? Oh man, um, yeah, that's difficult. I, I could try to sum it up a little. I mean, the I think most of the time I was running Wildbit, um, we were usually doing uh, pretty much the same thing, just building projects for. Uh, for clients. The, the only thing that really changed were the type of projects we worked on. We started out doing brochure sites, you know, very simple content management systems. Um, after that, as we, uh, as we got better at what we were doing, we started doing more application development. So over the years, just our, the, the type of project we would work on became more sophisticated. Um, but probably more importantly, uh, right now, even in, in 2011, we're a completely virtual team. And we actually started out that way in about, I think it was about in the year 2000. Um, there was a point where I was doing a lot of the, the PHP work and some, some of the HTML and uh, just really learning as I went. And there was a point where I, I was doing some PHP and it was just way over my head, so I needed to go out and find somebody to help me. Um, and this is a story I tell everybody because back then this was kind of crazy for me. But I just went out on a, a news group at my hosting provider and said, you know, I'm looking for some help in in PHP. You know, can anybody help me? I got a, a bunch of responses back. And uh, one of the guys, you know, everything just added up. It looked great. And after I started going back and forth with him, he's like, oh, by the way, I'm in Romania. And, you know, th- that seems completely normal right now. Uh, but Back then, I was like, whoa, you know, how do I do this? The, the world hadn't flattened out that much yet. No, not at all. You know, how do you do payments? How do you talk? How do you trust this person? Um, all those things kind of run through your mind. And uh, I was just getting started, though, so I didn't really have much to lose. And I said, you know, let's, let's give it a try and see what happens. So we did a small project, and it worked out great. And, you know, back then, uh, you know, my own finances were, were really tight, so the, the money was great. Like what, what it cost, it was great as well. So um, after a couple of projects, we actually said, you know, this is going pretty well. Why don't we partner up? Um, so I kind of became like the, uh, the client-facing, you know, design HTML, and he became like the back-end uh, guy, and we, you know, went from there. Is that person still with your business today? He's not, no. So um, I think around... Uh, 2004, um, I actually ended up moving on to uh, some other people, and it was mainly just um, uh, efficiency. You know, some people just uh, don't work out, and it it was like, it's hard to explain, but um, in the end, when we were trying to do projects, the communication was hard. So some people can work virtually, and some people just can't. And this is one of those situations where it's a lot of trial and error back and forth, but at a certain point you realize um, maybe virtual working just isn't right for this person. So let's fast forward to, I guess, a little closer to nowadays, um, maybe a little closer to when your wife joined the team and started running the business with you. What was that like? Yeah, sure. So um, trying to get the, the date right, but I think it was in February of 2009 uh, she joined and at that time, you know, before that, uh, she's always helped me with the company. Um, we've been together for, for seven years. 
And, uh, you know, she's always been involved in, in some way, whether it's just, you know, us talking and coming up with ideas together or, um, you know, she's always done a lot of the, the finances and things like that as well. So while she was in school, she actually went to school for uh, healthcare consulting. And after she graduated, she got a great job. Um, and a, a year into that job, she she was kind of realizing that it, it wasn't as exciting as she thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, that and we vacation a lot. Uh, not actually, uh, I should say we travel a lot. Sometimes we travel for business, you know, sometimes just uh, to get away. But uh, travel is really important to us. And, and having a nine-to-five job. That's difficult, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it, we went from like just being able to get up whenever we want and go anywhere to, uh, you know, here's your three weeks or whatever vacation and that's all you get. So um, that played a big role as well. So in February of 09, I think she was at her job for about a year. Um, we actually decided, you know what? Uh, I think as a family and as a business, we're, we're going to make better use of, of our, you know, of our lives and our, our brains, I guess, to, to really work together. And we, we made that decision knowing that we already work well together. Um, and I think that's an important thing to consider some, um, you know, aside from your relationship, working together can be, uh, very difficult. Sometimes it can, it can work out. Sometimes it can, it it just really depends on, um, how you separate roles and, you know, what each person, um, takes care of and what they're good at. And for us, it just, I can't say exactly why it works, but it just does. It's one of those magical uh, things that only only happens here and there, but when it does, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I think we're really fortunate to have that because we can work together, we enjoy it, um, and we, we really – we just love what we do. So let's uh, – before we go back a little bit in time, let's, let's talk about what's happening right now with Wildbit. So what is Wildbit right now before we go back and tell the story of products and the, the move from being a, a product or a client development company to a product development company? Yeah, sure. So um, we're a team of 10. We're, we're actually distributed all over the place, um, Germany, Canada, Serbia, uh, Ukraine, Russia, um, and then here in Philadelphia, there's three of us. And, you know, at this point, we're actually a, a product company. So we have three main products, um, Beanstalk, which is kind of like our, I guess you can consider our, our flagship product. Um, and that's a, a hosted version control and deployment system. Um, and we can touch base on that in a little bit. And then the second product is Postmark, which is actually a, an email delivery service for web apps. Um, and it focuses on transactional email. So Let's say you have a website or an application and it sends welcome emails or invoices or, you know, all the common things, password reset, um, instead of going through and uh, setting up your own mail server, worrying about deliverability, we build an API-based service where you can actually do it through us. And then the, uh, the third product is Newsberry, which is actually our, our oldest product, um, and that's an email marketing system. Hmm. I, I didn't know that uh, Newsberry was your oldest. Mm-hmm. Let's rewind back, I guess, then to to Newsberry because I thought that um, I thought that in '07 when Beanstalk was uh, when when that came about that that was actually your first product. So take me back even further back to Newsberry. Yeah, sure. So uh, you know, I could preface this by saying Newsberry is our oldest product, but it's actually our, our least popular. And I um, there's a number of reasons for that, but uh, 
why don't I start out with, you know, how we started it. Um, Newsberry kind of was born out of our, our own need. We were, you know, doing client projects and, you know, every once in a while somebody would say, I have this email list and I want to send them a newsletter or something like that. And I think this was like, um, I think maybe like 2004. Um, and at that point, you know, I was just searching for, for different products that would allow me to do that. And I couldn't find any. Um, and I, I think there were some that existed, but for some reason I just could not find them. You know, I can go back to my days and, Oh five, oh six, looking for a good solution too, and all I found was like hosted or not even any hosted solutions like you find today, like any SaaS products. All you found was like um, some ratty PHP scripts or something yeah, that was just not PHP that great. And it was and things like that, yeah, exactly, right? and it just seemed like a like a horrible scenario. And I know I used some of those tools sadly, but I didn't know about Newsberry back th- back in those days. Yeah, so we. At a certain point, we just started building something internal, um, and we really just built it for our clients to use. Uh, at first, it was it was just one one piece of software that a single client would use, and then somebody else asked for it, so we kind of branched it out so multiple people could use it. Um, and over the course of like a, a couple of years, we decided, you know, we have enough clients using this. I think other people would actually want to use it as well. Um, but it wasn't like it wasn't meant to be a product, so it wasn't um, as polished. Uh, as you know, a, a public product would be. So we kind of just put it out there and said, "Let's see what happens." Um, and over time, it actually, you know, some people started signing up. It wasn't any like, you know, huge growth or anything like that. But it, enough response where we said, "You know, this is worth putting some effort and money into um, into growing." All right, so let's let's dive into what I what you just mentioned before, which was your. Um your flagship product, uh, which is um, Beanstalk, which I, I kind of ran into in 2007 when I needed to actually use version control. And at that time, probably like most people, it was it was a new subject on most developers' mind, which was version control. Yeah, and it's actually really cool that you, you've known of it since 2007. Um, and thinking back to 2007, and we were talking about this a little before the call, but, you know, version control just wasn't, as popular or as uh, it wasn't as common as it is now. Um, now anybody starting a software project or even a design project, um, at least in my eyes, uh, you think of version control immediately. And back then it was kind of an afterthought. You know, like it was it was more like, well, this is too difficult, or I don't have time to to learn something like this. Um, but once you actually use version control, you're like, how did I live without that? And I noticed this through, you know, friends and even through our own work. Um, and I said, there, there has to be an easier way to do this. Um, so I did the usual thing, went out looking for a solution and I didn't really find anything compelling. Um, and at that point, you know, I was actually kind of managing our servers and every time we bring on a new team member, uh, I would have to go into these like, you know, Linux config files and stuff like that. And, uh, it was really painful just to add a user or, change permissions to a repository. Um, so the idea for the product really came out of, uh, you know, a need for ourselves first and talk to the team about it. Everybody liked the idea. Um, at first we, we went out looking for feedback from, from friends and stuff like that. And 
And immediately the idea was I would never put my code on somebody else's servers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, thankfully back then I ignored that and I said, you know, eventually people will be more comfortable with that. And uh, we decided to, you know, create like a really simple um, product at first, do a private beta and see what people thought. And that was one of those things where we launched it, we got some people involved in it and everybody was just like, this is the best thing um, that I've ever used. And that initial feedback, you know, really told us that this is worth putting a lot of effort into. And, you know, I guess when we look at the source code repository scenario now or um, version controlling, you know, the obvious, um, the obvious um, answers come back like GitHub and Beanstalk and various other sources out there, like even, even Google's option, which I always forget yeah. about because I don't use it. But um, how do you... How do you handle the relationship with GitHub and, and what GitHub has become, and how has that even um, impacted Beanstalk being adopted? Well, I guess, you know, to look at it another way, version control now is much more common. Right. Um, and when we started out, there there weren't really many options. Uh, now there's a ton of options, um, GitHub being one of them. And, you know, I actually love GitHub. I, I love what they've done, and I, I love the the community they built. I love the fact that they they took an amazing technology and really um, and really utilized that to to grow a product. Um, but at the same time, you know, people ask me that a lot. What's you know um, asking about GitHub being competition? And uh, while I think you know some people may use Beanstalk and you know decide they want to use Git and go to GitHub, but we we serve a very different audience, um, and if you look at it, our our audience is we started out saying we want to we want to create version control that's easy to use, easy to understand, and specifically for teams. Um, it's not for open source. It's not for you know sharing code with your friends. It's you run a business or you run a small team and you um, have some some products or projects that are very important. And you need a system to control them. And the other aspect is it has to be incredibly easy to use and, and an enjoyable experience. Um, and that's really what we built Beanstalk around. We have everyone from copywriters to designers um, to developers using it. Uh, where if you look at GitHub and you know some others, it's it's very much like a um, uh, they do have private hosting, but the, the main concept is around. Um, around software developers specifically um, and, you know, even more open source. I think if you go to the homepage of GitHub, um, I actually have to log out to see that because it's different for when you're logged in. You're right. It's a totally, um, I think it's probably totally positioned differently. I mean, it does say public and uh, private collaboration and stuff like that. But I think that they, I mean, just by the tagline alone, social coding, it, it says something completely different than um, Mr. Business Owner or someone who's developing technologies that, you know, obviously probably embraces open source, but but they're looking for a different kind of situation that where they're looking for more of a, a business partnership or somewhere, somewhere where they can put their codes and, and be reliably used as a business service versus like social coding. Right. Exactly. And, you know, and there's definitely some overlap, but, uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, one, it, it really comes down to the preference of, of what people are looking for. 
And, you know, from a, an audience standpoint, I, I think we, um, overall, we, we both serve um, a different audience. Well, I, I know that back in 07, and this is a little bit geekier, the geekier side of this conversation, which is 07, it was um, SVN. It w- was the, the source uh, con- control system that was pretty popular. And then I guess it was around early, early 08, maybe mid 08, where Git started becoming more and more prevalent in our communities. Yep. And so how did that transition come from when you started out with, how, did, how has Beanstalk changed, I guess, in terms of its fundamental usage case for businesses? So Beanstalk is still primarily um, subversion users, and we still get you know, tons and tons of signups every day for subversion. And Git, you know, in our community, is, is growing extremely fast. Um, but in every other community, subversion is still the largest version control system out there because it's, you know, um, I can't say it's the oldest, but it's, it's one of the more well-known and, you know, looking at, you know, 2008 when, uh, when GitHub came out and when, and, uh, you know, um, Git started becoming popular, um, we haven't seen much of a change in terms of like, you know, Beanstalk's growth never slowed down. Um, at a certain point, we started using Git ourselves. Um, so we decided that we want to use our own product. So we actually put Git into um, Beanstalk as well. And, you know, we definitely had customers asking for it. Uh, so the, the product, the, the audience, um, I can't say it's changed much. The only difference is really the, the technology or the, the, the platform that you build on top of. Probably stuff people don't really care about. They just care that it, well, I guess they probably care about the fundamental technologies uh, versioning their their codes, but ultimately it's yeah. just like a checkbox or another bullet point in the feature list, right? It's not a to us it's a big feature change, but to the common person who's looking at a solution like yours, they're they're just like, oh, okay, cool. Well, it depends. So um, we actually have a nice like intro when you create a repository, you can choose from subversion or Git, and uh, we try to make it as easy as possible because for some people. Git is not a good starting point for version control. For other people who, you know, rely heavily on branching and merging and and want things like offline commits, um, Git is perfect. But if you're just getting started, or if you're a copywriter, if you're a designer, and you're not working on like lots of branches and merging a lot, um, and you're just getting started, something like Subversion is perfect. Um, it's the the concept is very easy to understand. There's tons of clients out there to use it. Um, so we have a nice little comparison to say, you know, think about using Git if, you know, if you're comfortable with the command line, if, um, you know, if you do a lot of branching and merging, and if you're familiar with version control already. Um, so, you know, like I said, it really depends on the audience and, uh, and who, who's using the product. So let's talk about something else that's, that came up in my Am I thinking about this conversation with you, which is brand confusion? And I know we've been talking about Beanstalk for a little while now, but um, this one struck me pretty pretty deeply because I was like, did Chris come out with something new? What is this stuff that I'm hearing about? I heard about AWS Elastic Beanstalk, and I heard about Beanstalk D, which is um, a, a caching system developed for causes on Facebook. And I was just like, what's what's going on? Chris is really branching out. What's, what's going on here? So how do you deal with brand, uh, this brand confusion around Beanstalk, the name being used elsewhere as well? So, so Beanstalk D, the uh, it's an open source project. It's actually it's been around for a while. Um, I think it's used for queuing. 
Um, oh, that's right. A work, yeah, a worker's queue. Sorry, not cash. Yeah. So, so that's been around for a while. It's open source. Um, it's not a big deal. You know, people don't really get things confused much. Uh, but the recent, you know, Elastic Beanstalk, there's been a lot of uh, brand confusion there. Um, not, I can't say where people think it's our product, but you know, if you look at AWS, they have um, all these very, very like structured names, like. Um, S3 and EC2 and, you know, <laughs> everything else. Um, and then all of a sudden they come out with Elastic Beanstalk, which was like completely out there. Uh, so I was really surprised about the name as well. Um, and we've had a bunch of customers and, you know, seen a lot of tweets about, you know, why did they take your name and all this other stuff. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see how that, uh, see if anybody else gets confused by it. Um the other interesting piece is uh, they actually just came out with um, SES as well, which we launched, and we can talk about this in a minute, but um, last year in April, we launched Postmark, which is our, our third product, and it's been growing like crazy, and it's been an amazing product to run so far, and Amazon just came out with a similar service called uh, Simple Email Service, um, which competes with Postmark as well. Um, so if you go to like the AWS homepage, it has like a, an envelope looking thing that's kind of similar to our design. Yeah, there now the I'm next, checking it out. Yeah. And then the next frame is like elastic beanstalk. And I'm like, are they like <laughs> gunning for us or something? <laughs> well, that's a good thing um, or it's a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, in reality, um, again, I, I think serving a completely different audience, um, something like SES is really just a, a replacement to your SMTP server. Where if you look at Postmark, um, you you get all sorts of um, analytics. You get bounce tracking. You get uh, spam complaint handling, um, and that's really just the start of it. So uh, Amazon's always been like a replacement to your infrastructure. Um, where if you're really sending transactional email, it's more about um, not just replacing an SMTP server, but troubleshooting. You know, I sent an email. What happened? And if you can't find what you need in Postmark, you can contact us and we can do deliverability troubleshooting. Um, and those are things that you'll never get from, you know, AWS. So when uh, when we look at this brand confusion, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is is lessons learned around trademarking and protecting your trademarks. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have a, a trademark for Beanstalk um, and, uh, and Newsberry as well. And uh Postmark was a little more difficult. We're actually still in the process of of obtaining that. The the trademark itself came against some like, you know, uh the actual postmark um that's trademarked by the government. So <laughs> <laughs> good luck there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, are you able to protect this trademark? I mean, if you have Beanstalk as a trademark, I mean I, I don't know if you'd go up against Amazon, but the only way you can truly protect your marks is if you, if you, you know, if you're uh, aggressive about it or even attempt to protect them. Yeah, I mean, well, the way it works, you, you actually have to uh, make an effort to protect it. So um, I don't want to say too much about it, but it, it's uh, definitely in our mind, and we'll we'll see how that kind of pans out over over time. Yeah, I don't want to dig too deep in the details and get you upset about this. I don't I don't know what the back no, scenario no, is about know, it, but you know, for the listeners out there if they're building products, you know, I think the this does come to concern because there are a lot of people out there developing 
uh, scenarios like yours or, or applications and products like yours that that uh, either want to get acquired by Amazon or you know one you know that's in their you know initial launch phases like you know launch week week twelve and you know get acquired by Amazon week fifteen or something like that and that might be trademark issues and, and concerns for them. Right. Um, you know, overall as a business, we're we're not really worried about it because you know um, if you look at any product team or you know product company. It all really comes down to the, the team you have, um, and I know our, our team's great. I know we um, we all work very hard, and you know we uh, we know what we want to do, and we know what our customers want, and that's the most important thing we can focus on. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, you do have to worry about trademarks and things like that, but if you let them uh, worry you too much, then it takes you off the focus of the product itself. So let's talk about, uh, I guess. Postmark, since it's one of your more popular applications now, and let's talk about growth and and what's happening around Postmark that's uh, that's really exciting. Yeah, sure. So, um, Postmark was another one of those things. We were running Newsberry for years, and Newsberry is strictly email marketing, so sending bulk campaigns. Right. And in running Beanstalk, we every once in a while we get an email from a customer saying something like, you know, I'm trying to reset my password. And I'm not getting the email. And because we know enough about email, we could like dig into our mail server and check what was going on. Like maybe DNS wasn't right or something else. Um, we had the knowledge to, to go in and troubleshoot that. Um, but even for us, it was a pain. You know, you have to log into the server and do all this manual work. And this was well before we launched Postmark, but. Um, we kind of came up with the idea it would be really cool to have a service just for transactional email. And by transactional, you know, um, emails, kind of one-off emails that happen as, as users um, complete an action or do something on a, on a site. And the idea was kind of floating around for a long time, but we never really decided to act on it because we were so busy with um, both with Beanstalk, but also, you know, trying to transition from a consulting company to a product company and um, it, it just wasn't the right timing. So last year, um, actually, if I think about it, it was, uh, late 2009, we decided that, you know, now's a good time. Um, we have the money to invest. We have some time to do it. Uh, let's start building this product. So, um, we decided to build a really simple API based um, service where people could, instead of setting up their own SMTP server, um, use some pre-built, you know, Ruby, PHP, C Sharp libraries where they could just plug into our infrastructure, um, which has a great reputation with the ISPs and great deliverability, um, and actually use us to send their email instead. And I think we came out with the beta in private beta in like uh, January of 2010. And in April, we came out with paid accounts and kind of launched it to, to the public. And so what's, what's that launch been like with uh, paid users versus uh, – and you have a trial mode, right? Yeah, so we, we – it's not really a trial. It's more like um, we give you 1,000 credits, which allows you to send 1,000 emails. And depending on your use, that could either mean you know, a few minutes or it could mean <laughs> yeah. you know, a, a month. Um, so – we basically wanted to give enough credits where people could try it out, um, really see how it works, see the value, and then from there, you know, if they want to, they can 
you know, purchase more credits. And so what's, what's adoption been like for this? Like I see you got a lot of really well-known companies that are listed here, you know, between Forest, um, some of my friends over at Store Envy might even be good friends of yours as well, even Beanstalk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Discovery uh, Networks uses it, like all these great companies. And, and even a lot of them signed up before we were even um, launched to the public, which was amazing to us because, you know, when we launched Beanstalk, it was like no one knew who we were. It was like, you know, a few people sign up here, a few people sign up there. Over time, it grows and grows and grows. Where Postmark, we already had um, a nice audience with Beanstalk, and it's the same audience, you know, developers or designers building building applications or sites. And uh, it was really nice to leverage that audience to say, hey, we have another product that you might be interested in. Um, and I, I think that was a big part of the initial growth for us. Um, so, so we have a lot of great companies using it. Um, every month, like more and more people come in and, you know, now it's just about, you know, really focusing on the product, um, figuring out what our customers want and, and continuing to grow it. Yeah, that makes sense to, to leverage the, the trust and the audience and the customers you've built with Beanstalk since it's, um, you know, developer focused. It, was that just by accident or was that, you know, purely by design at, at first? You mean coming out with Postmark with this, like having that similar audience? Uh, you know, realizing that you could easily leverage Beanstalk's audience and customer base, the trust, uh, the, you know, the relationships and the community to built there to easily come out with a product in a similar vertical and easily prop it up with, uh, you know, pretty much instant support. Yeah, I think that was a big part of validating whether we should build the product or not. Um, because if if I look between our products, you know, uh, it's very hard to market. It's pretty much impossible to say that our Newsberry customers would want Beanstalk. You know, some of our Beanstalk customers might want Newsberry, but the other way around just doesn't work as much. It's it's mostly a marketing audience. Um, when we were considering coming out with or building Postmark, it was um, – it just made sense. I mean, we had uh, a built-in audience of people who we thought would really like to have a product like this, and it turned out to be true. So, it—I don't think it would have—I um, don't think it would have been a deal breaker, you know, if we didn't have Beanstalk. But it, it was really just one of those things that said, you know, we're going to put a lot of money and time into this. You know, is it worth it? And that just helped. Very cool. So where are we going? I know that 2010 was an awesome year for you, and I know you got some grand plans for this year, of course, but uh, where are things going for you? Well, we have a lot of plans, but, you know, actually 2010 was like uh, an amazing year for us. I mean, um, we actually, we launched Git Support for Beanstalk. That was huge for us. Um, it's It's gotten, you know, great feedback and, you know, response from our customers and new customers. Um, over the, the year, we've launched a lot of great features, but, you know, We've also, um, Postmark was a big part of 2010. And, and for that, it was really, uh, I think it was more about our company maturing. So in 2009, we went from consulting company to product company. And in 2010, it was really about um, coming up with a structure, a process, uh, a team that really uh, worked to cultivate our products and, and to grow them. And you know, they're not specific things like we did this and that. It's more um, we we now know exactly what to focus on. We know it works, um, and it just feels right. Would you say that 2010 was a learning year? You said it was a maturing year. Would you say it was a lot of trial and error and kind of prepping for the future? Um, 
I wouldn't say it's much trial and error. It's more just um, more just adapting to being a product company. You know, at Wildbit at least, I was running a consulting company for so many years. Um, you know, when you're running a product company, you have the opportunity to do whatever you want, which which can be a great thing and, and a bad thing at the same time. You know, um, you can easily occupy people's time on on the wrong things, or you really have to decide. You know, we have um, a lot we can work on, and what are we going to do with that time? And in consulting, it's usually just up to the client. You know, the client says, "I want to build this piece of a feature or something," and, and you just get to work on it. And and I think in 2010, we really learned how to make decisions as a team. Um, it's not as much me coming and saying, you know, I have this idea and we're, this is where we're taking the company. Um, it's more about the whole team saying, you know, uh, or even somebody from the team coming up with an idea and everybody kind of either latches onto it or they don't. Um, and just working together as a, as a team in a product company. And I guess moving into 2011, with the growth of of Postmark and the long-term success of Beanstalk, you've got some some new legs and some new roles to fill, and, and one of those is is better marketing yourself and better reaching out to community. And and from what I understand, you you put on a heavy hitter, Alex Hillman. Yeah, bringing Alex on board is uh, is huge for us. Um, and you know, Alex is really well known for uh, for co working and what he's done at Indie Hall in Philadelphia, um, and he's just. You know he's fantastic at working with and really getting a community together. And it's if I look back, you know, growing um, Beanstalk and Newsberry and Postmark, it's it's something that you know myself, Natalie, that we're able to do. But it's not really something that I think we uh, we specialize in, and also you know wake up in the morning thinking about. Um, me, I'm more thinking about the product, the team, what are we working on, and um, what are the next steps? And, and Natalie's, uh, more been about, you know, support and making sure our customers are happy and, um, looking at our, our, our goals and our numbers and things like that. And having Alex on board, it's really somebody who, um, who's really just interacting with our customers all day long, not in support, not once people reach out and say, I have a problem, but, uh, really just getting them together. Like, you know, we have all these great developers using postmark, um, and they're building, you know, these awesome libraries that work with it. And, you know, we didn't have anything in place so they could communicate or, you know, talk amongst themselves to come up with new ideas. And, um, you know, that's one thing that he's working on. And there's just so many efforts that, that he's bringing um, to the table that we didn't even think of. So it, it's been amazing so far. It's only been a month. And I'm, like, um, really stunned by how many ideas he's come up with. I hope he's looking at Twilio and, and people like that that kind of prop up products around very geeky or very technical kind of pieces like Postmark having an API and being able to tie into your application or even Beanstalk being a kind of a geekier, more technical kind of product. Twilio does a ton of stuff around their developer community, so it's I'm sure they've got to be somebody that, uh, that you're leaning on or looking at for uh, inspiration and, and uh, whatnot. Absolutely, yeah. So, Alex... Um, you, you mentioned Indie Hall, and for what I understand, you're uh, you're one of the very first members of Indie Hall. How, how has Indie Hall impacted Wildbit on the long term? Um, well, to back up a little bit, you know, over the years, I've 
I've done everything from like working, like having an office to working at home, um, and really just going back and forth from that kind of <laughs> yeah. that environment. And to be honest, I, a lot of times I prefer working at home, um, and I, I do pretty well at working at home. Not not everybody can do that, but I can focus pretty well at home. I don't get distracted. Um, I have a routine where like I can't really work until I get up and you know get dressed and everything and. Um, and I, I treat it as if I'm going to work, but I'm just going to a room in my house where I'm working. Um, the problem was, you know, you're, you're basically just talking to yourself all day. So, um, Indy Hall brought this uh, amazing opportunity where, you know, it, it's not like a, uh, executive suites where you just get an office and you're in there by yourself again. Um, it's an actual community, you know, it's a, a place where other people, are doing similar things or maybe, um, maybe not similar things, um, who you can talk to and share ideas and, um, really just feel like, you know, it's not just you working all day by yourself. Uh, and that's been the biggest effect of, of Indy Hall and co-working on me is that, you know, I, I've met a lot of people through it and, you know, even come up with great ideas and, um, it's, it's really about the community itself. You know, I can I can totally just feel your pain when you mention you know you're at home, and I have a good workflow from working at home. And I know the listeners might know this from listening to the podcast for as long as it might have been. Um, but I've worked from home since, geez, like 2006, I think. Mm-hmm. So, so it's been it's been a while. So I don't really understand. I've completely forgotten how to go to an office, and okay. I guess you know work with other people face to face all the time. So. Um, I can totally feel your pain there. And, and we have uh, this co-working space here in Houston that's called Carolina Collective, but I live a little, uh, just a tiny bit too far away from it. So I, I kind of wish I lived a little closer, either that or maybe they could put one over here in Sugarland where I'm at now, which is just a, a small suburb just outside of Houston. But um, So do you frequent Indy Hall often? Yeah, so um, now we actually... Uh we have a, a one-year-old, so over the past uh, past year, we've actually um, been either working more at home, or we actually have an office that's closer to our house because the commute to Indy Hall it wasn't far, only like twenty-five minutes or so, taking a bus or something like that. Um, it, it's still right in the city, and we live in Center City in Philadelphia. Uh, but that extra half hour each way is like huge when you know at the end of the day, you just want to hang out with your kid. Um, so we actually got like a small office pretty close to where we live now. Um, kind of the same model. Like we're actually, we're renting it from somebody else's office that they already have. And it's basically just Natalie and I that work there. Um, we still go to Indy hall though. Um, when they have like meetups or, you know, if we want to go down and, and meet with Alex and, you know, go through ideas um, on new projects we're working on and, and really just to go down and hang out with all the people that are there. Um, so, you know, at this point it's like, I said, it's still kind of the same reason. Um, it, it's, it's all about the community. And so thinking about the, this, this future we're, we're diving into what's on the near horizon for, for you, for Wildbit, for one of your products, you know, what's, uh, What's coming up that's super secret that no one else knows about that you might be able to talk about here today on the show? <laughs> um, it's interesting. You know, like I actually don't think we have any like 
big secret projects we're working on. Um, when it, at least the way we do things, it really just comes down to um, all the little details and just making sure they're all right and, and doing little things over and over again to add up to something big. Um, so, you know, things like uh, hiring Alex to make sure we, we can really connect and, and build a community better through uh, Postmark and, and Beanstalk and um, focusing more on, on some of the, the tools that we have in, in Beanstalk for our designers is a big one. Um, but they're all not like huge killer features. They're just, you know, little things that we think will help people um, in the products that they're using. And, and as we do that, you know, it, it's not as exciting to talk about, but it's, uh, it, it's really about the experience. You know, when people use our products, uh, they shouldn't have to think much and they should just use the product and say, wow, that was, that was easy. Um, or, you know, this used to be really difficult and now I don't even have to think about it much. Um, there is one tool we, we just recently launched and, it kind of shows our focus on designers more in Beanstalk. We we have this tool where um, if you're designing something, um, there, there's services like Forest and Trickle where you, designers can share screenshots um, or you know design work that they're doing. On well, Beanstalk, since we we have the source code and the everybody's you know doing different revisions on the files, we came up with this really cool tool where. Um, if you're working on design, let's say it's like a, an HTML page, um, you can actually do a preview of it directly in Beanstalk and then compare it side by side with different revisions. So let's say you're, you're working on a landing page for a new site or like a homepage and you're making different revisions to it. You can, um, you can either like send it to your client and say, here's two different revisions I'm working on. Which one do you like? And it's a really cool interface where they can bring it up and actually click side by side to see what it looks like. Um, and in addition, they can actually use that to share with others. So now, like, let's say you want to tweet about it and, you know, get feedback from everybody who's following you. You can actually, in a secure way, only show them that page with the comparisons. That's pretty, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so that's like, um, again, it's, it's not, uh, to us, it's a killer feature. It's really cool. But it's, um, you know, just focusing on our, our audience who we... Um, you know, what we think people want and, you know, doing cool stuff. That's it. That's, that's what I liked about this conversation is that it seemed like, you know, going back to the, the different products you've had, even the history of Wildbit, that it's always been about solving your own pain and then ultimately how you have solved other people's pain. And you've built up a business and various products and support a community around, um, you know, resolving your own uh, pain problems. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sometimes we laugh about it and we're like, why couldn't we do like – some simple like web UI database app, you know, we get into things like delivering people's email and storing people's source code, <laughs> you know, um, pick easier problems to solve. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, like, uh, um, not a lot of people are willing to tackle problems like that, or they don't have the knowledge to do it. Um, coming out with a service like, like postmark, um, you have to know a lot about email delivery um, you know, how to deal with ISPs, how to make sure you don't get uh, blocked blocked, and approving accounts and monitoring how people are using it. Uh, we've learned all that through running Newsberry for so long that it was pretty easy to do with Postmark. But it's something that, you know, a lot of people just don't know how to handle. Um, 
So, you know, if we have the knowledge, then we might as well use it. I'm actually a part of a startup that uh, uses Postmark to uh, to do their email delivery. And it's um, and also I'll mention this, too, that uh, as a listener, you probably heard um, a mention of Postmark app a couple weeks back or maybe on episode 10 or 9 uh, because I think Alex might have stepped up with 5 by 5 to do some marketing for Postmark. And just by happenstance, because Alex was good connections with you, Chris, that uh, he's like, hey, Adam, you got to have Chris on the show. He's an awesome founder of this company. I'm going to work with them. They're doing this fun stuff. But, uh, you know, that you are also a, a sponsor of this awesome, awesome uh, podcast network, 5 by 5 Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it went really well, too. But um, but Chris, it's been it's been fabulous having a good chat with you. I, I always enjoy hearing about uh, the histories of companies, and you've uh, you've got eleven years behind you, and I'm sure many many more. You and your wife and your one year old. So I I wish you uh, great blessings and and good luck with the company and everything you're doing. Hey, thanks a lot. I can't believe it's been eleven years, but uh, <laughs> it's it's you know it's so much fun. Um, it's. It's amazing going from a consulting company to a product company. I, I can definitely say that, uh, at least for me, running products are just um, every day. It's just so much fun. Absolutely. And uh, and that's exactly why we have you on the show, because you're excited about it. And there's a lot of people out there who want to do it as well. And uh, it's always good to, to examine stories like yours, to, to bring out not only your story and how fun it is, but uh, to help other people understand you know what it's like to, to go through these these 11 year journeys and solve these various problems and deal with these different uh, scenarios and, and be able to extract some good things that people can learn from, from it. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you, Chris. 